Okay, I've simply titled my sermon this morning, Use Your Gifts and Abilities Wisely. And that actually ties in with what we just did. People become members, in part, because that's what they want to do. They want to use their gifts and talents and abilities in the church that they're part of. You see, you and I, each one of us, every one of us has been blessed with a gift. There's no such thing as anyone on this earth who can say, you know what? God skipped me. He forgot about me. I can do nothing to glorify God. There's no human being alive who can honestly say that. Maybe we don't all have the same gifts. We've been blessed differently. But just because somebody has the gift of of, uh, maybe making good meals or entertaining people or hosting people or teaching, it doesn't mean one is worth more than the other. There is a different, there's different judgments on people at the end. Those of us guys who are teaching and influencing people with our words, we will be judged more harshly. That is, that is, is written in the Bible. But we're not, we don't find that God values one gift higher than another. The rewards are not different. We are going through a sermon series on the kingdom of God. And in our sermon series, we're now in sermon number five. Actually, what I should do, but I won't do, but I'm tempted, I like, I like to teach, and so I should maybe give you a quiz. What have been the four sermons we just had? Maybe just the titles. And I'm not going to do this. Um, I don't like putting people on the spot, but I always like to do a little bit of a recap just so we have a little bit of an idea what we've been doing. So the first sermon was about the sower and the seed. Some seed falls on hard ground, some on rocky ground, some on thorny ground, and some on good soil. Rocky, hard, thorny, all the same. They produce no fruit. So basically two groups, that's it. There's the, there's the fruitful and the unfruitful. Sermon number two was we talked about the growth of God's kingdom where it's like a mustard seed that grows and the birds of the air can have, have nests in the branches and then the yeast and the dough. It may not look like much, but it's very powerful and very effective. Sermon number two. Sermon number three was about the value of God's kingdom. It's priceless. It's worth everything you own. Giving up everything you have is not too much to give up for the kingdom of God. It's worth everything you have. Then last Sunday, fourthly, the fourth sermon, we talked about the urgency of the kingdom. The ten bridesmaids, five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones, ah, we got time, who cares, we'll be fine, it's all right, don't worry about it, it's okay. They missed the wedding celebration or the, um, the ceremony, couldn't get in, they, they gambled, it didn't work out for them. Today, sermon number five, we're looking at our responsibility. You and I have a responsibility. It's not that we just go for the ride. You don't just jump on a bus and sit down and take a book and read and now you can let the world go by. It's, that analogy may fit in some places but doesn't fit everywhere. We have a job to do. We are responsible how we live our lives here on planet Earth. We don't just go for the ride. We have responsibility. It's important that we own it. An illustration that I want to start with this morning, I'll have a few. One is this. You know, people go to college, and a lot of our young people, young adults, are off to college these days, and they learn, they take different courses. But I, I want to just imagine for, for a moment, let's say all of us are college students here, university students taking a math course, and the teacher gives us an impossibly hard math problem to solve. And we do our best. And at the end of the, uh, the, uh, the week, we have to hand it back in. We hand in our paper, and only one in ten gets it right. 90% of us get it wrong. Do you think we would have all gotten the problem wrong at exactly the same place 
you know how in college you have to document, you have to just illustrate and show exactly the whole problem. It takes pages sometimes to illustrate how you figure this out. And, you know, one guy got it wrong here. One guy got it wrong there. One person got it wrong here. One person missed that. One person missed it. It doesn't really make that lot of a difference at the end of the day that you got it, that where the problem was. The fact is you got it wrong. You failed. You failed. That's the problem. And so, well, I was, I was closer than so and so. Maybe you get a better mark. That's true. But still, you don't pass. You have to get it right to pass. So let's say the professor looks at the assignments and, and he would love to just, okay, just, we'll let it go, we'll let it go. No, you can't. If the equation was figured out wrong and if the math problem was solved wrong, it can't be called right if it's wrong. So we have to pay very careful attention to detail. And that's part of our job as Christians. It's not some easy, casual, easygoing life that we can just live the way we want to and then, oh, God will forgive. We, we are, we're saved by grace. Yes, we're saved by grace. But this calls for obedience, for dedication, for commitment. I called my brother-in-law this week and I asked him, can I, can I use that story that you told me some years ago about your experience you had in your business? And he said, uh, we talked, we said, yeah, sure, you can use it. And it's my brother-in-law, Ben Rample, and I just thought, and that's with his permission I'm sharing the story. So he owns a, uh, a, sh- a shop, it's not small anymore, it was small at one time, but it's a fairly sized shop now, and he makes parts, he's a manufacturer. Very high precision from stainless steel, it's very delicate and it's very expensive and it's very, very tight tolerances and it just has to be just so and it's a, it, it's a stressful work. And so one day they get this order in, and again one of those high precision jobs and he makes this part or these parts and somebody unknowingly misses something. Did he read the print wrong or actually use the wrong print or something? But nobody caught it. Very expensive parts, extremely expensive, and so they get shipped off. I think it was Alabama, and then and they are mounted and they're assembled into other parts and becomes part of a big machine. And the way I remember it was these parts are welded in, and so they they ship the parts and and they fit them into the machine and they weld them into place, and then they find out oh oh they're wrong, the parts are wrong, and so Ben's brother Pete, he's a co-owner of the business, he had to fly down and. And those of you who are into manufacturing will understand this picture. They said they had to rent a mobile milling machine to actually get in there and mill out the stuff that was missed. Days later, $27,000 later, the problem was fixed. You know what the good thing was? It was fixable. It was recoverable. It was a huge loss to the company, as small as they were at the time. They were not very big. And it was just it could have been prevented. If only somebody had paid closer attention to the detail, it wasn't easy for them to lose that much money and be set back that much time. All said and done, $27,000 later, lots of time later, an expensive learning experience. Why am I sharing this story? It's a temporal thing. In eternity, that business won't matter anymore. The parts they made won't matter anymore. But what about our souls? What about our living souls that God will one day take from this earth? Here's the reality. We cannot always go back and fix what we miss. There's a day when it's too late. When it's over, it can't be done anymore. Do you know that of all the billions and billions of human beings who have ever lived on this earth, everybody lived only once? Nobody came back and said, okay, we'll do a reset. 
We'll do a restore hit on the computer. We'll, we'll live it over again. A few actually passed from this earth outside of death. Enoch is one in the Bible. Elijah is another one. A few were raised from the dead. But nobody went and lived life over again. Not a single one. Nobody. Everybody lived life only once. And when it's over, it is over. There's no going back. Let's fix this. Let's, well, let's go back and see if we can fix that. You can't. It's forever done. So with that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25 and begin reading again what the kingdom of heaven is like. Here Jesus is talking, and it's Matthew 25. Last Sunday we talked about the young bridesmaids. They gambled with their time and they lost out. Today it's not about the time issue. Today it's about how we use the time, what we do with the time that we have. Matthew 25, beginning verse 14, reads this way. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in, pro in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. Let's stop there. This life that you and I have has been entrusted to us as a gift. We don't know how much. Five years, some people die right at birth, some people live to be 80. We've been entrusted with gifts. We don't know how much, how much life we have. We have one, one package of life, or we have five. We have 20. We don't know how much we'll have. Or we could talk, call it abilities and skills and opportunities. We can use this any way we want, actually. The focus here is not so much on these first two. The focus is there, but I really want to, want to zero in and home in on the, the last guy. I mean, it would be fun to, or I mean, actually nice in a way just to talk about the first two and just forget about the last one. But the master gives everyone a job. He says he entrusted his money to them. Not their money. It's not their money. It's his money. It's not their talent. It's not, it's his talent. It's not their time. It's his time. It's not their life. It's his life. He gives everybody a job to do. The master himself doesn't even supervise. He just, he, he leaves. He takes off. He's gone. And the servants are responsible what they're going to do with it. And that will reveal their devotion, their loyalty, their relationship they have with him. That, reveal, that will reveal that. Well, let's read verse 16. It says in verse 16, The servant who had received, who received the five bags of silver, began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. He hid it. The first two, they understood, well, the last guy did too, but the first two understood, hey, we got a job to do. This is a gift to us. We have to spend our money wisely, his money wisely. So they did as they were told. It doesn't tell us that they knew when he was coming back, but they just get busy. They get working. And so they earn more. The, the first guy doubles what he has. The second guy doubles what he has. But then there's the last guy. He also has some money. But he treats it differently. He knew that it wasn't his. He knew he had to give it back. So he was, he was a good guy in that sense. He knew his boss was going to come and ask for it. But he did the most secure thing anybody could do. He saved it. I mean, he, he, he put it in a safe. He buried it. He's not careless. He's careful. He's the most careful of all three, we could say. He wasn't going to take any risks. He makes sure nothing happens 
to his master's money. I think he thought, if I don't venture out, I can't fail. If I don't sail, I won't sink. If I don't take off, I won't crash. Good, good logic, right? Nope. Not in God's economy, it's not. He took the path of fear. Let's see what happens. Verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money, not their money, his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Okay, let's just close the Bible and stop there, right? I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the attractive thing to do. Let's not talk about the other guy. Let's just leave that. But he's there. And Jesus focuses an awful lot of attention on him. And in fact, I've said it before, Jesus says, many will seek to enter the kingdom of heaven will not be able to. There's a lot of people who can't, who won't. So when the master calls them in to report, they give a report. They give back what's his, an additional. They add what they've done with it. They add that too. It's pleasing. He rewards them for it. And I do believe this, honestly, I do believe this. Too many times, the gospel is taught as something, you got to get right with God, so when you die, you go to heaven. Okay, I understand that. You don't want to go to hell. No, the gospel's not there, so you die, you die, go to heaven. The gospel is not there, so okay, one day I'll die and go to heaven. The gospel is there, so I can live in relationship with God here and now, doing with my time what glorifies Him, what lifts up His name. That's why we enter the kingdom now, here. But why does Jesus tell the parable this way? I believe, honestly, he's saying there's going to be rewards. There literally will be rewards. We have many scripture passages that prove that. There's going to be a difference in heaven how we've lived our life on earth. I don't know what that will look like, but I believe it's true. God will reward his people. Jesus himself says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot steal nor destroy. There's, there's a treasure that we can store up. And that's good deeds, actions that we do for Him. He doesn't say store up for yourselves works of salvation. It's never about earning salvation. It's in response to salvation. Well, the two servants have done well, and we won't close the Bible there. They're rewarded for their efforts. But what about the last guy? Let's talk about him. Verse 24. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master. He calls him Master. I knew, he's not, he's not dumb, he's not, he's, not, he's not ignorant, he's educated. I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate, as if he needed to be reminded the master knew all that. And then, then the, the last verse here, this is verse 25. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money. Now, what's wrong with that? I mean, is that so bad? I think this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Where was the man's heart? He played it safe. We're not called to play it safe. 
He made his choices based from a reference point of fear. Fear was the starting point from which he made decisions. It's a bad move. How many times are we not told in Scripture, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear? It's a command, not a suggestion. I can't help it. Of course not. That's why we need grace. That's why we need Jesus. He made two miscalculations. He didn't trust his master. The master gave him money, for, and he recognized that this master's money got to take care of it, so he hid it. He did not count on the fact that there would be a, a consequence for disobedience. Second mistake, he followed his feelings. He didn't trust. He followed the feelings of fear and let them dictate how he was going to act. He sized up his master according to his fears and then acted accordingly. Fear of losing out, fear of having to take ownership, fear of responsibility. But you know that's the lie that works to you today, even to today still. The works of service that people are given, oh, you know, it's, um, I would love to, but. And so we ham and haw and pull back. Let's read verse 25 again. It says, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The word I is mentioned three times. I, I, I. I was afraid. I was concerned. So I. You know, I believe this. On judgment day, that'll be the predicament of many people. Have your gift here, Lord. But opportunities weren't quite right, so I didn't serve. What was the man thinking? There are many people who really look forward to using their gifts and talents and opportunities to serve God just as soon as, as soon as things change, the conditions are right, and as then the kids are off to school and, and work is not so hectic and things are not so busy and, and, and on and on it goes. Now I want to say this. This is not about not working. This is about in our work, glorify God. In our work, exalt Him. In our work, exemplify a model of discipleship. That's what this is about. Whatever our job is, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's in the fields, in the greenhouse, in the, in the road, uh, driving, whatever, drive like a disciple of Jesus. Serve like a disciple of Jesus. Build like a disciple of Jesus. That's what this is about. But there's one thing here that's not written in here, and I want to talk about that for a few minutes. That's one thing that's not written here. And I don't know why Jesus didn't tell it that way. It's not for me to know. I'm not him. What if the master's money, the guy who got the master's money, what if he had not hidden it? What if he had spent it on himself? What if he had just said, you know what? Hey, cool. This is my money. I'm going to use it. And he had blown it on himself. What then? That would have been much worse. You see, he didn't blow it. He didn't destroy it. He didn't squander it. He just protected it. It wasn't good enough. But a lot of people, they don't bury it. They spend it for themselves. In the end, they don't even have money to give back. They got nothing. And it'll be something like, oh Lord, I'm sorry, I, uh, I didn't know you were serious. You see, this preacher told me, I, it's about me. If I would say the sinner's prayer, that'd be good enough. It's all you wanted. You just wanted me to be you wanted me to be happy, it's what I was told. You wanted me to have a good time. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, you can't go back, just like this park welded permanently into place. You can't go back and undo it. 
Oh, it's okay, servant. That's fine. No problem. I'm not that serious. Just come on in. We'll, we'll reward you too. We'll give you a, a ribbon too. We'll give you a reward too. Is that what happens? Let's read verse 26. Remember, the guy has saved the master's money. He's buried, he's taking good care of it. Just didn't multiply it. Verse 26 says, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. He's rejected. And here I feel like saying, whoa, 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 master, whoa. Who are you calling wicked? Is that wicked, not just doing nothing? You know what the Bible says? James talks about it. He says, those who, do, who know the good they ought to do but don't do it are sinning. We sin by doing evil, yes, but we also sin by refusing to do good. He calls him lazy. What about North American Christianity? Are we doing with God's time, with God's resources, which is us, our bodies, our time, our talents, are we doing what we can for God's glory with those things? Or is it mostly for ourselves or just ignoring it? He did nothing. This guy did nothing. Not even the bare minimum. The master said, should have put it in the bank at least so I could have gotten interest on it. You know something? Oftentimes, unbelievers even surpass people who claim to be Christians in their good deeds. I'm not saying good deeds bring salvation, but in terms of honoring God with their earthly material resources. I'm not saying they're saved, but oftentimes God can use people who are not believers to do good deeds of kindness, which people who are called believers refuse to do. The story of this man, he could at least have done something. He did zero. He was a lazy man. Nothing is worse than getting on that side. But then it gets further. It gets one worse. Verse 28. He ordered the man, the master ordered, take the money from the servant. Give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine the sinking, aching, agonizing, stomach-turning sensation when Every last final opportunity is ripped away and it's too late forever. When we do not use what we have, what we have will be taken. And there will be pain and weeping and gnashing of teeth for those. You see, we're not in charge at the final end. We're given a talent, we're given gifts, we're given opportunities to use wisely what God has blessed us with. And I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy life. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is what we do should be to God's glory, regardless of what it is. If we're into entertainment, let's say we, we have fun. Let's say we're playing a game. Let's say we're doing a job. We're, we're, we're having fellowship with someone. It's, this thing about going to heaven is not like some say, pie in the sky by and by and then... It's here, it's now, it's today. And one of the things that I have to be honest about and say that concerns me is how the, the cultural, the worldly, political, whatever have you, material, temporal fears is rooting itself into people more and more. I would love to serve as soon as it's a bit easier. And I started out with the story of my brother-in-law's business and the small oversight cost, a huge 
setback and it was recoverable. But not all companies always recover. Sometimes they are done for good. But you know, those people who meet God on Judgment Day, who have done what this guy did, first they reveal there's no connection between them and the Father, that it's not there, and then they will realize, oh, wait a minute, I was given a chance, I was given an opportunity, and I lost it. Or I gave it up. If we lose that, we lose it for eternity. I was listening to a talk, a speech, or reading something about Rabbi Zacharias recently, and he talked about the purpose of being, and the thought crossed my mind. Do you know that you do not belong to you? Do you know that you don't own you? You were created by someone who owns you to bring him glory, worship, and honor. And if that's not happening, then there's a shortage of some kind. God made humanity with a purpose in mind to reflect his glory. He made humankind with that ability and responsibility to choose to do it freely. But in our day and age, self has become God. And it's all about our desires and our plans and our wishes. And does it ever show? The self-focus covers every area of life. From when we get up to when we go to bed and everything we do. This worthless servant did some good things. I mean, what, you can't call it bad, protecting the master's money. How's that bad? But he was a wicked, lazy servant because he didn't respect his master. How do we get ourselves out of this mess? Number one, we go to the cross. The cross of Jesus, that's the place where everything meets. Everything intersects there. Our pride, our fear, our arrogance, everything intersects there. And God's judgment on sin was paid for by Jesus when he died. We can start today, start now, living our lives for his glory. God demonstrates his grace to us every day by giving us another opportunity. My prayer and my hope is that we will take this seriously so that when our time comes to hand back to the Master the gift he gave us, he will also say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for your word to us. Lord, you were not joking when you spoke the words. The writers were not joking when they wrote the words. And the word is still true. You say that heaven and earth will disappear. Your words will never disappear. So you're serious about this, and we know that. So help us to be serious about our application, our use of our time, which is not ours, it's actually all yours, but the way we use our time, that we would use what we have been gifted by you for your glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen.